Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. I am your host, and we're a podcast that focuses in on teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what we commonly refer to as the TLC of business today. We've been speaking with people over the last several months, focusing in on those key areas, and today is no different. We're privileged to have with us today a gentleman who graduated from the United States Naval Academy and has gone on to serve in the United States Navy as a Navy SEAL. He's also got a background in leadership, and he is the founder of Leader 193, a leadership consulting firm, as well as the author of The Process Art and The Science of Leadership. He served in the Surface, surface Warfare Officer in the, as a Navy SEAL, as well as an FBI Special Agent and FBI SWAT Operator. And he uses that experience to teach business leaders today how to lead from all around the world. Leaders do inspire confidence. As he puts it, in clarity, focus. He focuses in on both in the boardroom, on the combat field, but it's also about over the kitchen table. I'd like to welcome with us, Earl Dobler. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Well, thanks, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. We're excited to have you here today and just chat a little bit. And we've had a few folks with different backgrounds from the military on our podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'd just like to ask, you know, just give us a little bit of a background on your history. You went to the Naval Academy here in Annapolis, Maryland, and tell us a little bit about you. So I'm originally from New York and uh, Long Island, New York, a little town called Bayshore. And anybody who's familiar with that, they, they know that's where you get the ferry to Fire Island. So um, grew up on the water, you know, grew up on in the ocean, on the beach all the time. And, you know, the Naval Academy was, wasn't my lifelong dream to go to. I, I went there. Um, to play lacrosse. I was recruited lacrosse player and I had had some knowledge and interest of the SEAL teams before I went there. But, you know, this was back in the, in the eighties. And mm-hmm. so there, there wasn't, there wasn't the hoopla surrounding the SEAL teams that there is now. And I don't mean that in a bad way, just y- y- there was no, there was no resources to find out about them. Um, so I had, I had just, I saw a small article years before, you know, predictably didn't say much, but it always stood out to me as a, wow, this group is very interesting. They seem to do these really interesting things. Um, and so when I got to the Naval Academy, that kind of renewed my interest to be to be a SEAL. Um, I had to go to the Surface Warfare Navy first because there wasn't very many billets coming out of the Naval Academy for SEALs. So I was, you know, eight, I was like 10 on the, on the list and they only had eight billets available. So the eight people, eight men in front of me took those. But, you know, I did my time on the ship, uh, did a good job, did a lateral transfer to the SEAL teams. And, uh, you know, I would have spent my entire career there, but it ended with an injury um, that I got medically discharged for. So I spent a few years in the private sector uh, licking my wounds before I got some medical clearance, then went back into the FBI. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's great. So you continued your uh, service to the country, uh, both as uh, in the Navy and then out of the Navy working for the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us a little bit about leadership in general, um, because going through the Naval Academy, you didn't go through the traditional basic training in Great Lakes or wherever. So 
how did you do your basic training back then? And what did you learn from that level of uh, leadership? So I went to the Naval Academy prep school, which is, is a little different uh, in that you're, you're an enlisted man at the Naval Academy prep school. And so they had a indoctrination period of, I don't know, two or three weeks. I, I can't even remember what it was, mm -hmm. but it was run by a gunnery sergeant. And, um, and it was a true scream in your face. It was, it was the real deal. And so when I got to the Naval Academy, they do do things a little bit differently there, but I had already had some of that real strict military bearing um, experience. So from that standpoint, I was pretty good going into the Naval Academy. Uh, but, you know, the Naval Academy is, it's an interesting place. It's, you know, it's a top, it's a top academic institution for one. Absolutely. But, but you, uh, you are required to understand military, understand military bearing, and it, it's truly run like the military with formations and, you know, you have to get up at a certain time, have to be in your room at a certain time. Uh, you can't go out during the week, by and large. I think they've loosened a little bit of those rules since I've been there, which is mm, fine. A little <laughs> bit, but I got some friends who've recently graduated or their children have graduated. And I had to meet him at the uh, gate one time because it was a weekday and he was not allowed outside the gate. <laughs> well, right, right. They, they, they may have loosened it, but they certainly didn't just open the gates. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. So, you know, that, that was kind of it. You know, you, so you get that if, if you're not already uh, into that discipline, then you're going to learn it. And um, if you don't like it, then you're not going to stay. And it was simple as that. So I never, I never really minded that the discipline uh, part of it. I did, I did find myself in a little bit of trouble uh, from time to time, but that didn't mean I didn't appreciate the military and the discipline that it bought for me. <laughs> right, right. Well, the interesting part is you talk a lot about process. Mm -hmm. And I think, and help me if I'm wrong on this, but that process kind of stems from maybe the uh, Naval Academy prep school, as well as the academy itself, getting you ingrained into a process. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it is. The, so I developed this process of leadership, right? I, I, I wrote it in the book. Um, it's what I use for my clients, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one client who's a uh, you know, kind of on the bench leader, right? Just a, just a worker who the company might be trying to groom them or a CEO of any level company. I use the same process. And the process I created is born of all my experiences mm -hmm. uh, to include the Naval Academy and the Naval Academy prep school. And it was really just as I reflected and, and had to put down in clarity what I believed about leadership what I believed then after I put it down was it is a process. There's a series of things that are going to happen in every aspect of your life, whether you're leading or whether you're just kind of living your life in the family where you are also leading. Um, and that was it. You are always going to be confronted with emotions for one degree or another. You're always going to be confronted with a culture, your own personal culture. And until we have the awareness around those things, because emotions drive our actions, we can't make good targeted changes uh, for leadership. We can't make the right adjustments for leadership without that awareness first. And that is always there in every mm -hmm. aspect of our lives. And then once we have that awareness, we start deciding, okay, what did I see about myself based on how I feel? Now, how do I wanna behave or how do we wanna behave? So we start making behavioral guidelines, okay? I need, based on what I've observed about my team, myself, whoever, we need to try to behave in these ways, right? That has nothing to do with our widget. And then once we get those behaviors in place, 
in the end, leaders achieve results and teams achieve, uh, achieve results. And the only way to achieve results is to plan, to have a good, solid planning process. So all mm -hmm. I did was bring the planning process over from the SEAL teams, modify it a little bit, water it down and make it simple and, and applicable to everybody. So that's the process. Mm -hmm. Those elements are always with us. And, and if, if you just follow them through every aspect of your day, decision-making, action, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you're going to be in good shape. But what's the art? The art is simply this. Let's all agree that we need to establish behavioral guidelines for ourselves and our team, right? That have nothing to do with our widget, just how we behave. Correct. But your guidelines, Greg, are probably going to be different than mine based on what I observe and what we need. So I don't just throw out random leadership principles and say, here's what you need to do to be a great leader because, because it may your not principles, apply. My principles and the guidelines that we have, they may be different. And that doesn't mean that one's right or one's wrong. That's right. It is applicable to our needs, our uh, who we are as individuals, our weaknesses and our strengths. So, you know, that's why it's a process. Um, process is a tough word for some people. They feel like it's confining and it doesn't allow us to think out of the box. And that's where the science portion comes in. Process, art, and science. And, and in short, it, it, the science tells us when the brain follows process, the brain is relaxed. When the brain knows what it's going to do beforehand, it doesn't go from thing to thing to thing to thing. It is not in that state of fight or flight. It is in rest and digest. And then we can see the bigger picture. And right. We start to see more options for what's available to us. So that's that's it in a nutshell, right? That so and everything that I've ever had. Uh, yeah. That basically is my life. I have never liked the process, yep. and it's interesting because in the last twenty years, I have learned how important a process is to be able to accomplish it. That's right. Uh, and for a lot of the same reasons that you pointed out. The process, you know, it's going to restrict me. I don't like that. I like to be different. I like to be easygoing. I like to be able to yep. branch out. And you can still do that That's right. with a process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that Here's... was key for me to learn. And I, I think that's key for a lot of our listeners to learn is that a process is not confining. It's actually allowing you to get out and be more liberated. It, it, it absolutely is. And, and here's just another note on that. In two areas. First of all, if, if you are acting outside of process, okay, thought process, everything we just described, and something doesn't go your way, how are you going to go back and identify where it went right or where it went wrong without process? You can't. Mm -hmm. So now it's just random. So something went wrong. It didn't go our way. And like, well, we don't really have a process for how we do things. I don't have a process for how I think or make decisions. And it went wrong. I don't know where, where to fix. Okay. That's the first thing. Second thing is, based on my background, and when I get that confining argument, I don't usually go to the science first. That's probably the most logical place to go. But I just, I just hit people you know, between the eyes with this. I came from the United States Navy SEAL teams. Okay, We were the ones who invented jumping out of the airplane in the middle of the night into the middle of the ocean with all of our gear and riding up on an enemy that's actually waiting for us but still dominating. Does that sound like a group that doesn't have out-of-the-box thinking? Of course not. But every, every time we did something, we planned methodically. Our process for how we acted, how we worked, was methodical. It was mm -hmm. process. That is a separate conversation from out-of-the-box thinking. Yes. Two separate conversations, and people try to 
lump it into one. So once we get mm -hmm. that, you know, once I get that clear with some people, they're like, okay, I'll, I'll, let me hear more about the process. <laughs> right, and that, and that's 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 a key element as we start to go through it. Um, the other part that you bring up a lot is leadership language. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to go back again, if we can, back to the Naval Academy and maybe the prep school. Where did you start getting your leadership language and kind of define that for us? So the leadership language is not necessarily what I've defined as the language of leadership, if that makes sense, right? Okay. What it is, is based inside of that process that I just described. Okay. And, and then again, as I looked back, I could see, yes, everybody had a leadership language. Well, now what does it mean? When you go to, when you understand things like emotions are important, and that becomes something that you talk about. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's just say it was one of your, your behavioral guidelines. Hey, look, we, we pay attention to each other's emotions and we don't make emotional decisions. That's a behavior. If you behave that way, would you get better at everything? You, you probably would. Now that we've established that as a behavioral guideline, for example, and we go into a meeting and I open the meeting by saying, okay, hey, everybody, or you know, even Greg, look, this is gonna be a tough because we're going over your, your situation. Let's remember, let's keep our emotions under control. If I just say that out of left field, somebody might be like, keep my emotion, you keep your emotions under control. What are you talking about, right? They're gonna get okay. offended by that. But when it's something we have identified that we do, that becomes our language, right? So we know, let's just say we, we establish that we always plan before we act. That is a behavior, okay? And we use this planning process. So when you come to me and tell me that, hey, you started doing A, B, and C, and I say, where's your plan? Once again, you're not going to get insulted. You're not going to be confused. You're going to go, oh, that's right, because we do this planning thing. That's, mm -hmm. that's what we do, and it's been established and communicated to us. So, yeah, hey, sorry, boss. I didn't put the plan together for you first. Let me go do that now. My part, right? Nobody's that, getting insulted. It's just, it's what, it's how we do business. It's, it's take a line from the Godfather. It's just business. It's just business. You know? It's and just it, how we do it. Here's the key thing, which you just brought up, I think is key. There's also has to be a level of um, trust in there. And when I talk trust, a lot of times I refer to vulnerability trust, but you've got to feel comfortable with yourself. Your boss has to feel comfortable with himself or herself and make sure that you can do that so that the people are not offended by that language. Because if that's not there, somebody could easily become offended. Am I right on that? Well you, well, you are. And that's why that's why leadership around this is key, because the leader will establish those elements that are important. Mm -hmm. Okay, the leader will make it clear, you can't hold someone accountable, if they don't know what they're supposed to be accountable to. If we say we are accountable for these four behaviors, right, we don't want to have a bunch, right, a few good solid behaviors will be just fine. Um, we say we are accountable to these behaviors. Here they are. Here's why. Here's what I think they'll do for us. And then the leader reiterates them on a regular basis. Once a month, once a week, once a quarter, every time one is violated, whatever it is, but there is a consistency in it. And then when you follow through on that consistency and you hold people to that thing that they will be accountable to that you've identified, that gains trust. Right. That in and of itself is what gains trust. And that's the consistency part and being able to say that. There have been a number of times I've worked with clients and I've put something up on the screen simply as their values in their organization. 
and they don't have a clue what they are because since they went through an onboarding training program, they have never heard those words again. And that doesn't work. They have to have that embedded on a routine basis so that it becomes second nature. So people know what they're being held accountable to from a behavioral standpoint. The other thing is, you know, how else do we use this? We use it. It just should be the way we use everything. But a lot of times I get questions around how to evaluate people, how to hire people, how to fire people. And I say, look, that's not my expertise, but I can tell you this. If, if you've established that these certain behaviors are important to you, the leader, well, why wouldn't that be part of your interview process? How do you feel about this behavior? How do you feel about that behavior? You're going to get, that's what's important to you, right? So that's the first thing. You can use that in interviewing. The second thing, evaluations. Oh my God, the way companies just, <laughs> uh, so I say, look, you, if you have a behavior, okay, you put that as part of your evaluation process, right? Whatever, uh, let's say the behavior is, again, priority, prioritize and execute. I just pick one randomly. That's out of SEAL Team ethos, straight out of combat ethos, whatever it is. And you say, this is how we behave. We prioritize, we execute to completion. If it's a behavior, I can ask somebody, tell me how you did that. Give me the examples of how you did this behavior because those are the behaviors that mean something to us. They either will be able to or they won't. And now you've got a process to evaluate them and give them good feedback, right? Same thing Mm -hmm. with firing somebody. Firing somebody should not be that difficult. No. Hey, Greg, we've established these three behavioral guidelines. Here are the four examples that I could, where you didn't abide by them. And then I, (laughs) I, that's right. And then I talked to you about it, right? I held you accountable. I asked you why, why didn't you do it? and you never made the corrections to your answers, I don't think now, and here it is, I don't think you're a cultural fit. Because when people say cultural fit most of the time, they don't know what they mean. Because I say, what's your culture, right? What are the things you do? But if you say, we behave in these three ways, that's our culture, and this person just doesn't like behaving those ways. Doesn't mean they're bad, doesn't mean we're good, just mm-hmm. means we're not a It's just not different, it's not a good fit right now. Just not a good fit. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, talks about that, is get the right people on the bus, and then get them in the right seats. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not be in the right seat on your bus, or they may be on the wrong bus altogether. Look, you've got, look, talent is important. Nobody's denying that. You've got to do your best to get the right people. But again, it goes back to our point. How do you get the right people? Well, you mm-hmm. get the right people who buy into your vision of behavioral guidelines, for example, right. as a leader. Because you're the leader, you have to establish that. Because a good, talented person might not be good for my team, that's good for your team, because... They can't get on board with, you know, we respect each other's time by being on time, right? That's a behavior. But they're like, ah, I just like to be late. <laughs> I don't care about being on time. <laughs> I'm fashionably late. Yes, that yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, hey, cool. But it, that's not how we do it here. So right. th- this would just, we would be just be battling over this all the time. So, you know, we'll find someplace else for you. Whatever. So now you brought up accountability. And so I want, I want let's take this to a little bit different level if we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the leader holds people accountable, that's absolutely key. Mm-hmm. How important is it in the SEAL team advisory in that direction or as a SWAT team working with the FBI? How important is it for peers to hold each other accountable? Now, once again, we have to understand what we're saying when we talk about accountability. So often now, people, are, people um, take accountability for consequence and punishment. I will hold you accountable as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's not. By definition, an account is just accounting for your actions. 
an explanation as to why you did what you did. Greg, why did you just do that? I just held you accountable. Your answer may be good, it may be bad, it may be in between, okay? And then going forward, if I have to hold you accountable on that same behavior that I've established, okay, and you're not doing it, now I have to move to the consequence phase. So once again, I feel like there's two separate conversations that are going on now. The importance of accountability to your question, um, you know, I don't, you, you can't overstate it. But the reason why leaders and organizations have trouble holding people accountable, it goes back to what we were just talking about, because they're not making it absolutely clear what they will be holding people accountable to. Mm -hmm. That behavior is unacceptable. Okay, why did you do it? Because we've established that we don't do that. Right. Tell me, you might have a reason, and it might be a good reason, and then we can, you know, that's okay. We can now. Work now we're getting into a little conflict, and that conflict can be very healthy because now we can find out other potential challenges. Yeah, they, they may not have done something because they may see a, a hole in something that may have been there before. Now we can contribute and build on that and start to take the process forward again by asking them why accountability. Uh -oh. That's yeah. accountability. Why'd you do that? I really want to know. It's not a it's not a punishment. Okay, now you've done that thing four times. After I've held you accountable four times, your behaviors or your answers aren't changing. Now there's consequence. Now you're demoted. Right. Now you're right. being moved. Now you're fired. Mm -hmm. That should be easy, right? right. Because at, at that point, they should know they're about to be terminated. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, but again, I want to look at from the mutual side of things. Mm -hmm. How can how can two people on the same level, one hold the other one unaccountable for their behavior or action and not have it sound like a consequence? Well, look, the, the soft skills of leadership are important. Okay, they are. It's, it's not so much. It, I don't address the soft skills in my book. And I don't normally address the soft skills of leadership with my clients initially. Mm -hmm. Because I can be gruff I can be ineloquent with my words, okay? But if I'm saying the right things, that's more important right now. Right, absolutely. Right, I'm saying, you know, you just may, you may not like my tone, okay? But did you hear what I said? Did, is it clear? Okay, now I'm gonna work on my tone because, you know, there's no mm -hmm. sense in me making you angry because I'm being sorry, whatever it is. Right. So, um, so how did two people hold each other accountable? Well, here's, here's how. When we talk about planning, okay, one of the problems that I see so much is there is a there is a dearth in planning before people act, before or they want to accomplish something. All of a sudden, people just start doing stuff, okay? And one of the excuses I get around holding people accountable or not being able to get other people to do things is, well, I'm dotted line to them, right, in the organizational chart, so I don't have any real authority. So that's fine. I said, but here's the thing. Every project should not be based on the, org the company's organizational chart because then you can't get anything done because everybody will have that same trepidation about holding other people accountable. Right? Well, I don't, they don't mm -hmm. report to me. That's why each time you start an initiative, the initiative needs to be operating under its own operational chart. Who's in charge of this initiative? They're top, okay? Who are the people who will be doing the actions, okay? They're next. And it doesn't matter if they're dotted line to you in the overall organization. In this thing that we're trying to accomplish, they report to you. And as long as everybody gets that, buys off on that premise, then, then we're back to square one. It's easy, right? Hey, okay. 
Greg, why didn't you do what you said you were going to do? I just held you accountable. Right. And if you say to me, hey, I don't report to you, right? We're, we're equal in this organization. I say, well, yeah, but you report to me for this initiative because we've already established what that was before we started and we all agree to it. So look, I'm sorry to upset you, but you do report to me. Can you explain? Because I'm I'm the one on the hook for all of this. Right. So just just tell me what happened. That's all. That don't. Right? It's it's a leadership language. This is how we do it. And unfortunately, exactly. if you had a problem with reporting to me for this initiative, you should have said something early on. Yeah. Now, yeah, early on. And, and now, now I know it. Let's go back to the big boss and tell him, hey, look, Greg isn't comfortable reporting being in this thing, yeah. right? I think Greg might say, uh, let's not do that. Okay, let me just do the work. You're right. I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, these things it's, take it's care of itself with there. process. That's right. And they take care of themselves with, the, with, with process and with work up front. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, that's and, it. And a lot of times there has to be, again, we're back to that key level foundation of level of trust. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got to trust the people that we're working besides in the trenches with, whether it's military warfare or whether it's, you know, a, a, a church meeting. It doesn't matter where we are. We've got to have that level of trust. And that's key. It's, it's interesting because several years ago, I had to have a, um, a minor surgery. And when I went in to see the doctor, he was gruff. He was like, huh, here, circle this, do this. I'll see you in three weeks. Like, man, his bedside manners just sucked. Yeah. But the day of the event, the day of my procedure, wow, he was in his element. And I had a phenomenal respect. We can't necessarily get upset with somebody when they're doing their job of what they are and where they are. Yeah, and that's, it, it, it's, it's hard, right? Because like I said, I, I do believe in the soft skills, very strongly in the soft skills of leadership, mm -hmm. but not before we get processed down. Because me, me being able to execute the soft skills of communication don't mean anything if I'm not communicating the correct thing, right? So we've got to be able to, we've got to be able to establish that leadership process first, establish that leadership language, and then let's work on how we project it if we are okay. gruff or whatever. And again, look, this is, this is my opinion, right? This is just what I, you know, so if somebody's, I'll find out very quickly if somebody's only problem is the fact that they deliver everything they say sarcastically. I'll take a look at very quickly, you know what? You do have processes in place. You do have this in place that, okay, cool. Let's start talking. Let's start talking about the soft skills. Right. Okay. Because the reason you might be inarticulate in your leadership soft skills is because everything else is going so badly. Okay. And then, mm -hmm. so you're frustrated, you're, you're, you're communicating from a place of frustration um, and things like that. So that's kind of, that's kind of the reason I, I take the tact I take. Okay. So now let's ask through the years, I'm assuming you like everybody else that I've ever interviewed or talked with from a leadership aspect made some mistakes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wh what are, what are a couple of the mistakes that you've made? What did mm. you learn from them and how have you adapted? So, and that's why I came up with, you know, th these elements of my process began with emotional begins with emotional awareness and recognition. Because any mistake I made ever, right? And you name it, I could, look, I could list you off all the mistakes I made, right? Uh, I got in plenty of trouble, um, conduct unbecoming an officer in general on a, on a few occasions, right? Um, yeah, I think I read at one point you uh, were almost discharged for conduct unbecoming. Yes, I was. 
twice almost. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. But the point and, is and that, so that's important that we can understand that we can make mistakes. We can screw up. Yep. As long as we recover and know what to do and how to make those changes. That's right. So it wasn't the mistake that I had to, the thing I actually did is what it's what drove me to do it. And I was unaware of myself emotionally. And I would just act on emotions. Okay, that's it. I felt something. I felt anger. I acted on that anger. I felt excitement. I acted on that excitement. I felt whatever it was, I acted on it. Sometimes mm -hmm. it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Okay, and that's a problem. Okay, it, I'm never saying to somebody, don't act on your emotion. What I'm saying is, don't act on your emotion unconsciously. You may mm -hmm. get an emotion of anger. And if you consciously say, I think anger is justified here. I'm going to act angrily. Cool. You've done, you've made, you've, made a it through. you've made a conscious decision. And now if that, if that action that you take based in anger doesn't work, guess what you get to do? You have process. Now you get to go back and say, okay, this thing happened that triggered me, that gave me this emotion, anger. Now I know I can't trust that instinct anymore because when I acted on that anger consciously, the result was disastrous. So every time I feel that, I've got to take a step back and try to go a different direction. That's how we learn about ourselves. That's how we learn about our instincts. And that's what I, so again, I'm not, you know, it would be boring for me to tell you, here are all the mistakes I made. Here's where I went out and drank. And here's where I went out and got into a fight. And here's where I didn't have my, you know, What's important, I think, is all those things that I did that got me in trouble were based on the lack of emotional awareness and recognition. Mm -hmm. and that's why I lead everything I do with that, because I believe that if everybody doesn't have it to the degree that I had it, everybody's got it. And I know that firsthand now when I work with people and they're like, wow, Errol, I don't know what emotions I'm feeling. I'm like, yeah, that's a that's a, that's interesting because it shouldn't be thing. that. That should be that difficult to identify your emotion at any given part of the day. <laughs> okay. And people just, they can't. And I say, okay, see, point proven. Look at how little regard you give to how you act, how you feel. How much of that are you acting on without even realizing? So I, I hope that answers your question. It does, because, in, in, and see if I've got this. There's a, in computer language, they write programming a lot that uses statements, and even in sales, it's used if this, then that. So what you're doing is if this, then that, if this, then that, mm -hmm. and it starts to build it. So that if we go through that process and we grasp it internally yep. and another phrase I use, I like to, you call it the Abe effect. A-B-E means awareness brings effectiveness. Yep. And yeah. the more aware we are of something, the more effective we can become at handling it one way or another. You can't, you just simply can't make the, the, the process I bring my clients through, whether they be teams, whatever it is, is painful in the beginning because it's all around awareness, right? How you're feeling, what you're doing. We're going to be able to draw some conclusions at the end of those first couple of weeks, whatever it may be. And then we get to make the targeted changes, right? Here's mm -hmm. what you've watched yourself do now because I have forced this awareness on you. If you didn't behave in this way, if you behave the opposite way, would you be a better leader? The answer is usually yes, mm -hmm. right? So awareness, you can't do anything without it, right? So that's yeah. why, you know, that's why I focus on that so much. And, and that's and why I, there's an art. It's absolutely critical. The other area that you believe in a lot is continuing to self-develop 
you can't develop your team until you've developed yourself and continuous learning. Is that about, am I saying that the right way? Well, absolutely. You know, um, when, when we start working with people, sometimes the finger is pointed out. They don't do this. They don't do that. They, 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 they. And then we start the awareness process. <laughs> okay. And basically, ultimately, what it's going to come down to is um, they're probably just acting how you're acting and you don't even realize it because, again, the, the, the team will take on the personality of the leader for better or for worse. They simply will. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we can't very well understand what drives people to do things if we don't understand it in ourselves, right? So you just simply can't recognize something in somebody else that's foreign to you. So in other words, Greg, you may have done this thing that is terrible, right? We're at work and you did a project and it's a mess or you spoke to somebody a certain way. And if I don't have an awareness of the idea of emotions and what emotions do to drive us to act, I'm just looking linearly and saying, you did this thing, therefore now you will get fired or you will get reprimanded. Right. As opposed to what would drive Greg to do something like that? That seems, that seems strange. Let me ask a couple of upfront questions first. Greg, how's everything? I'm fine. Are you sure you're fine? Because what you did doesn't seem like you're fine. Okay, well, I'm not fine. You know, I'm. Uh, my daughter ran away. You know, we had a big fight, and she ran away, and she came back last night. And I'm just, I, I'm just beside myself. Great. Guess what? Now I, as the boss, don't even care about what you did. I understand now why you did what you did, and I get to deal with that. And say, okay, look, what do you need to do? You need to take a week off. You need to go home. What do you need? Right? How, you know, let's get you past this. If I don't have, if I don't understand those concepts of what drives me as an individual to act and then how I act. And if I'm not aware of that, there's no way I can see it in somebody else. And there's no way I can help them, lead them, be successful with them. And that's why, so people ask me, so what, Errol, you're constantly thinking about your emotions and what you do? My answer is yes, constantly. Because that's, that's interesting because there's probably a lot of people who may sit on the other side of this equation and say, you're a former Navy SEAL, you're an FBI special agent and a SWAT operator, all that stuff. How can you be worried about your emotions? That That's, mm-mm, can't do that. We yeah. need to be. So how do you approach somebody who feels talking about that is um, foo-foo? I had a gentleman on a program one day, he says, he was a former fighter pilot. And he says, whatever happened to leading from the stick, you know, that type of thing. And it's, it's different. So how do you address somebody? Yeah, look, and he's right. He look, I get it, right? Lead from the stick, you know, whatever, and and that's all well and good. But here's, here's what I first and foremost, this is where I leverage my, my resume, okay? Because if I can do it and I can say it based on the fact of all the things that I've did and have this tough guy image, I suppose, for lack of a better term, I generally get people to listen to me. Now that said, I don't put my process that I develop comes with very powerful stories in each element. There is a reason why I believe this is important. And I'll just, I'll just share a story 30 seconds with you. So if I say it's important, and if I say that emotional awareness and recognition on the battlefield, when I'm getting shot at, makes me a better warrior, will it at least be enough for you to consider doing it 
at the boardroom or at the kitchen table? Everybody says yes. I said, okay, good. So we're out one day and I worked when I was in Afghanistan, I was attached to the 75th Ranger Regiment and I had to work closely with, a, with an interpreter. And we came under fire one day and it turned out to be friendly fire. And you know, we all went scattering to the winds and the patrol leader screamed, get me the interpreter up here because he was gonna have the interpreter tell the Afghans who were shooting at us, friend, you know, friendly on the same side, you know, just to stop because they, they, didn't, they didn't know all the nonverbal cues that they should have to say you're shooting at, at friendlies. And I had to go find them. And that, you know, it wasn't awesome. You know, we're getting shot at it. This, the, the, the fire had subsided a little bit, but when I found them, I grabbed them, I said, hey, let's go. And we'd, been, we'd come under fire many times before together. And he was always solid. And as I turned around to run, he wasn't following me. So I went back and I said, hey, let's go. And he looked up, he said, no, I'm not going. Okay, I had, to, I had to see something there. I had to be aware. I said, wait a second. Okay, he's scared. And he's not, so something happened that's got him more scared than, than normal. And, and his action based on that, that fear is inaction. He's frozen. Me grabbing him, screaming at him, right? Like Clint Eastwood in the movies, which I love Clint Eastwood and I love his movies. Okay, but that would not have gotten him unstuck work. from that fear. What I did instead was I recognized it and I recognized it myself too. Like I'm getting anxious because we need to get this, we need to do this thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I can't let my anxiousness that was going to drive me to yell and scream at him and then in turn understand what that would have done to him, nothing. So instead I bent down, put my arm around him while we're getting shot at and said, hey man, it's gonna be okay. Trust me, come on, let's go. And that's it, right? Just quieted my voice down had a little physical contact, you know, got close and said that, you know, and, and he said, like, yeah, okay, let's go. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's had to go emotional back almost to a Maslow theory there going back to the safety, you know? Right. And now we, why did he trust me? He didn't trust me just because I said, trust me. He trusts me because of all the things that we did together in Previously. preparation for each operation. We spoke about the target. We spoke about how we would handle it. We all the things. Okay, and then when the time came, because he knew I respected him as an individual, we did things a certain way all the time. Yeah, I had the magic bullet there when I was able, no pun intended, when I was able to say, trust me, because mm -hmm. of all the things before that. But again, if I, had, despite all the things we did before that, that I gained his trust, if I didn't do it properly, if I didn't recognize the root cause of the problem, that trust wouldn't have mattered he mm -hmm. just wasn't going to move anywhere. So that's it. Yeah, that's so that's how I describe it to people. Yeah, leading from the stick, being strong, all that stuff. Yeah, hell yeah. Nobody's ever, you've never heard me say, don't do those things. But this is part of the process. <laughs> okay, that's it. This, this may also be, be part of the stick as well. That's being exactly. Able to recognize that. It absolutely is. Mm -hmm. Because you can't, whatever behavior, if, if you're doing the wrong behavior based on the wrong set of circumstances, it's it's it doesn't right. matter. Hey, you're going to do the if you're going to do the wrong behavior, put the wrong behavior in, you're going to get the wrong information back out. That's right. That's you know? exactly right. It, so it comes back to that old adage of garbage in, garbage out, and we've got to make sure we understand that. Yeah. So that's look. So that's that's the and I, look. I've got a, I've got a million stories like that, um, but that's I like that story the best. That's the one I usually tell. I'll probably come up with a couple new ones to freshen things up. But it's all the same, right? Mm -hmm. If I can tell you that how acting that way and being emotionally aware makes you a better combat operator, 
Well, if you did that with your wife, with your husband, with your son, with your daughter, with your mother, your father, blah, 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 blah. Would you be a better husband, father, son, sister, brother? Mm-hmm. You're darn right you would be. Yeah. Let's, let's give it some consideration. It's back to awareness. Yeah, it's back yep. to awareness again. Um, there you go. Example from my side is my mom had passed away in 2004. My dad and I were out and he had done something silly. And my father was always the military background. Shut up. Let's go. Move on. That was his, his mindset. And I had always worked with him and communicated with him that way because that was him. Mm-hmm. After my mom passed away, that changed. And I said something to him that day in a very gruff manner that I would normally do. And he looked at me in his face and just said, I really wish you wouldn't yell at me. Whoa. Yeah. Major change. I had to do a strong shift in how I communicated with my father at that point for the rest of his life. Yeah. And if I hadn't recognized that, it could have been disastrous for our right. relationship. Right. Where yeah, where the relationship has gone now? Look, and I, it's it's a really interesting point that you bring up about you know leading from the stick. We'll just use that example. It doesn't mean that you don't ever get after somebody. I have three kids under eight years old. Okay, <laughs> I don't have the luxury of evaluating emotions all the time. I sometimes need to raise my voice and tell them, "Go get your shoes on." Okay, it's not wrong. <laughs> okay, uh-huh. but afterwards. When I yell at them, I'm going to explain myself, okay? And they're going to know, right? Because I told you once calmly, I told you twice calmly. Now I'm telling you a third time. And, and after the fact, right? We'll come back. You made me tell you three times. That's why I yelled at you, to get your attention, right? I'm begging you. Listen to me the first time, and I won't yell at you, right? That's a promise, right? So, but, so again, I'm not saying that there's not a circumstance that doesn't Require necessitate require the stick. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is he can't just go right to the stick. You better be able to explain it all. And as a leader, you had better be able to explain every action that you take. Okay. Cause otherwise, well, what are you doing? If you can't explain all the time, even if it's a mistake, Hey, I, I did this, that was wrong. Cool. Got it. And I'm then take ownership of your mistakes. Yeah, of course. Here's yeah. what I did. That was, I would, that was wrong. Sorry about that. Good. Conversation when you admit that to your team that you made a mistake, it brings up a sense of vulnerability, which brings it probably even stronger as a leader. Am I right? You couldn't be more right. There's, there's nothing there used to be. And, and you'll look, you've been in this, in this game a long time. And I think even at the Naval Academy one time, I, I literally heard, or I read, you can't let people know that you're wrong. You can't let your people know you're wrong. I, I, Maybe I imagined it, but I'm pretty sure because I saw enough people act that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, I, I've got several stories where I can say, look, and I said to my, you know, the, the folks who I was leading, I, that that's on me. I messed that one up. And I remember the first time I did it, a fellow officer who was in the Navy came up to me and said, you, you can't tell them that they're going to, they're going to hold that over your head. I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you because it was my fault. What am I going to do? Blame it on somebody else, right? I'm yeah, you can't pick... throw somebody else under the bus. Right. Well, that, as if everybody's not going to know the truth anyway. I, I, I don't really, mm-hmm. I guess if I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to be wrong, but that's the way I'm doing it. And of course, of course it made them trust me more, right? Of course it was, mm-hmm. hey, well, we can trust him. And, and then when he gets after me, I know it's not because of something that he did wrong. He's getting after me because of something I did wrong. Cause he was, you know, he was, he was an yeah. adult enough 
he was an officer enough. He was a leader enough to put it on him when it was on him. So that's the trust. That's how we do business. Mm -hmm. That's the language that we're speaking. So tell me a little bit about Leadership 193. Where did you come up with the name for Leadership 193? Yeah, so Leader 193 is, it, look, 193 is my, my uh, Navy SEAL training Hell Week class, right? That, uh, Hell Week, if, you know, for your listeners. It's uh, called Navy BUDS too, right? That's right. Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL, BUDS training. And it's generally regarded as the most difficult military training in the world. Um, and Hell Week inside of that is the generally regarded the most difficult week of the most difficult training. That's, that's when the most get, dropouts occur. That's where you get most of your dropouts. And so uh, we, you know, and again, I always say, don't hold me to the numbers. I'm in the ballpark, right? Just in case I get that person who's fact checking me, <laughs> you know, but, you know, we started our class with about 200 and at the end of the fourth or fifth week is hell week. And, and we, we were down to 10. Um, now, I ended up graduating with class 194, but I kept class 193 because it was just a special time and it was a special group. Um, and and those are those are big numbers, right? When you lose 190 odd people in four weeks and you're, you're, you're one of the people standing. So I just I take a lot of pride in it and I take a lot of pride in my time as being a SEAL and I respect the SEAL community and I want to honor it the best I can. Uh, through through my leadership consulting firm. So that's that's where the name comes from, Leader 193. Now, you've got, uh, I think, two books out. Is that right? No, we've got the, we've got the one book out, Process, okay. Art, and Science of Leadership. Next ones are in, in the process of being written now, though. <laughs> okay. Always got one in the hopper and oh, one to go. That's it. That's right. That's so right. So tell, tell us where they can get the book and give us the title of the book again, the full title. Yep. The Process, Art, and Science of Leadership, How Leaders Inspire Confidence and Clarity in Combat, in the boardroom and at the kitchen table. Uh, I am all things leader 193. So if you go to my website, leader193.com, there'll be a tab for the book there. Um, you know, Instagram and Facebook, leader193. And then of course, just if you wanted to go to Amazon, that's all you need to do. Type in the, uh, the process art and science of leadership and it'll pop up. Awesome. Well, first off, I uh, neglected to say this at the top of the uh, broadcast, but Thank you so much for your service. While I've never served in the United States military, I have worked with, I used to be able to say every branch of the military. And since we've now formed the Space Force, I have not worked with the Space Force yet. <laughs> so you got to get somebody on. <laughs> uh, and I, I appreciate and I value your service and uh, thank you for your service all the way through. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Okay. Folks, you know that we've interviewed a lot of folks here on the Teamwork Advantage from the military. And there's a lot that we can learn from the military and how to take that in um, as far as being able to move through business and the transitions and everything that we can learn. Uh, there's so much you can be learned from both sports, from music, and from uh, the military about how we can learn to lead and build teams and have a strong culture. Earl, I want to thank you again for your time today on the Teamwork Advantage. We've been on for about 40-some minutes here, and I think it's been a great time spent together, fast-paced. And uh, I want to leave you with my philosophy. It's very simple. Don't ever have a good day. Because having a good day is just being average. And we don't want to be average. So, folks, until next time here on the Teamwork Advantage, when we talk with another leader about teamwork, leadership, and culture, be sure to make it a great day. Bye-bye.
This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.